Grab your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. <laughs> mm. Oh, guests, it's a great, safe place to begin to read the Scriptures if you're new to the Bible. All you need to do if you didn't bring a Bible is Google Acts 6 and the initials ESV as in English Standard Version. I'll do all the rest. You're going to want to read this for yourself. The book of Acts, chapter 6, beginning with verse 1, the translator heading reads, Seven chosen to serve. And as you find your place this morning, this morning we return to our study of the entire book of Acts, picking up from where we left off two weeks ago. The very first Christians have now banded together, you might say, in Jerusalem, organized into the church, getting the word out, living their lives in community, sharing everything they have with one another, devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings, and yet in the season also of prosperity, also experiencing ever-increasing hostility, legal jeopardy. This is shaping up. Listen, we're just six chapters in. This is shaping up to be one big epic adventure, is it not? Jesus, the, the context, Jesus, Jesus has been crucified, died, buried, rose from the grave, now ascended into heaven, where this is what the book of Acts is all about, where he begins his reign as Savior and King, and his plans are unfolding. That's what we're reading in Acts, the book of Acts, one life at a time, one generation at a time, starting here in Jerusalem. We are all now, listen, we're all now just a few chapters from the whole thing going like worldwide. It's just about to happen. But first, first, a little growing pains, you might say, growing pains. The church is growing. And growing means more people, and more people means We'll say complexity, not problems. We'll be nice about it. Complexity, <laughs> and with more complexity, <laughs> provides more opportunities for more and more feelings and expectations to go unmet and broken and hurt. We've now moved on. Listen, Acts chapter 6, we've now moved on from like a small network of friends and family. The church has grown exponentially. In only six chapters, and with this growth has come challenges, and so this morning we encounter for the first time on record a church complaint. It's the first complaint lodged by a church member or church members. Let's read, and then I will pray that God would Help us to understand Acts chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. Follow along. Verse 1. Now, Luke writes, In these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Verse 2. And the twelve, it's the first time they're called that, the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, 
full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The very words of God. Would you join me in a brief prayer? Father, it is good to read your words. It's to listen to you address us as your children, your church, feeding us, feeding our souls, reviving our hearts, instructing us, convicting us, changing us, maturing us, all while we simply listen and receive and then go responding. Use use this seemingly mundane activity called a sermon to do extraordinary things among us, your people. Send your spirit, grant us ears to hear, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let me ask you a question. Let's start out with a question. What, what pleases you about your church? What, what pleases you about your church? What makes you happy? What do you, what do you like about your church and enjoy and are impressed with? about your church, and I'm not assuming everyone in the room considers this your home church, and if you're churchless, listen, I hope you feel welcome. We know that it, we all know what it's like to be new at some point and searching for a home church, and I hope you feel welcome here. And, and, and if you have a home church and you're just visiting this morning, thanks for being with us. It's, it's so encouraging to meet Christians, and particularly for some reason, they seem to visit and vacation around our city, and we enjoy that. It's so encouraging to meet brothers and sisters from all over the place. But either way, whether this is your home church you're looking for a church, you're away from your, your church, uh, ask the question, what is it, what is it that when your church does it, what your church does pleases you? No, the list, listen, the, the wish list is often very, very long, if we're really honest. The things we wish our church would do that would please us, we all have them, even if we don't vocalize them or drop them in the complaint box in the back, which you can just go ahead and look afterwards. There's no complaint box back there, but you can go to look the dramas in. Uh, and listen, and to be fair, to be fair, with those wish lists, many of us do a great job of prioritizing them, our wishes the things that would please us, and then entrusting the ones that never come true, the wishes that don't come true, to the Lord and press in, and we press on, and we're undeterred, and we're still enthusiastic, nevertheless giving ourselves to our church. And I'll tell you what, if you don't know me, if you don't know a pastor personally, you haven't gotten to know a pastor long enough, haven't have maybe say even a, a casual friendship with a church leader, particularly a pastor, let me tell you, pastors have wishes too. I have wishes. I have things that would please me. Pa- pastors don't always get all their wishes granted. <laughs> and, th- and that's a good thing. <laughs> that's a really good thing. Why? Because, because not all of our wish dreams 
the things that if my church did them would, necess- would necessarily be the best things for our church to do or give ourselves to. If you're familiar with your Bible, if you've been around a church for any length of time, you probably most likely recognize this passage that we just read and, and, and know it as a passage about deacons. And it is in some ways, one of, one of the two official offices of the church, teaching pastors and deacons. And deacons, just to explain, are members of the church that represent the church officially by leading the church in serving the church. They're servants, seven chosen to serve. Here, here in our congregation, we currently have two deacons, uh, Les Card, Deacon Dave, as you heard during the, uh, the pastoral prayer, David Christensen, who serve us in countless ways. And we're grateful for you two men, Dave and Les. Thank you for serving us as deacons. You've been chosen to serve, and you serve gladly. And, and certainly here in Acts chapter 6, we, we, we read about the genesis of the office of deacon. These seven men serve serve us historically as kind of pre-deacons or proto-deacons, theologians like to call them, even though the actual mechanics of the official qualifications and work of a deacon is really filled out later in, in the Apostle Paul's letters to the church throughout the New Testament. But I say all that to flag for us this, moment, this morning, there's something more profound happening in this text than just the beginnings and genesis of the office of deacon. There's something more profound going on here than just a new category of church leaders or just good management practices, right? This delegation. Something is being communicated here. Something is communicated here. It's there. It's in the text, but it's kind of under the surface. Easy for us to miss that for you and I and our church, if you're a visitor, your church, about priorities, about priorities, and how our personal and corporate commitment and commitments to our priorities, ultimately a single priority we're going to read, how, how these priorities can in effect enable each and every one of us, surprisingly, to expect to be, anticipate being pleased, regularly, consistently, meaningfully, by the actions in the life of your church. There's some hope here. You can be pleased by what the church is doing. In a time when we have more churches to choose from than ever, right? If not in person, if not that your car can get you there and the freeway can get you there, but online. More churches than ever to select from, right? In a culture where talk is cheap, you can just speak online and the whole world's got access to whatever we want to say, and everyone is outraged and demanding that everyone be part of the solution to everything, In a city, listen, even in Orange, in the city of Orange, although it doesn't quite know what to do with us and about what we, and think about what we believe still invites us to be part of the life of our community and our neighborhood rather than canceling us, right? In a world like that, we must be crystal clear. You and I must be crystal clear about what it is that we want us, us, the church, to do and to be 
And listen, listen. What pleases us? What pleases you? When you go in, you go out, you read on the blog, something happens. What pleases you? What stirs your heart and brings you joy and you might say satisfaction, maybe even some comfort? What makes you happy enough to tell others what, about what is going on here? What pleases us might be the best indicator as to what you believe we should do and be what's right and good and most important for Sovereign Grace Church of Orange. And that, that's what sparkles in this text. Kind of surprising. We're, we're six chapters in, we're learning about the early church, and, and we get a window into the heart of the members of this church. Did you catch it? It's a simple narrative. It's easy to explain, understand what's going on, but there's one line that says it all. Haven't seen this yet in the book of Acts, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 5, if you look with me. There, here it is, verse 5. This is what sparkles. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. What they said pleased them. The, the whole entire church, the whole gathering. So, with that in mind, this, this little insight into the life of the, church, the, the early church Consider with me what it is that pleased them as they grew and grew and watched as the Lord saved and saved and saved so many that by now we've lost, we've lost count, no longer given numbers, now just saying multiplying, right? Observation number one, what pleased them front and center. This is the easy one right off the top. The church was pleased that no one was left out. The church was pleased that no one was left out. It pleases us too. I'm sure it pleases you. That was, that was their complaint. That was the, at the surface what their complaint was about. Look again, verse one. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because the Hellenist Hebrew widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Listen, this is very interesting. The church is growing, and as it grows numerically, it's also growing in diversity. We have the Hellenists now and the Hebrews. The Hellenists and the Hebrews, at this point, both groups, just get it straight, both groups of Jewish descent but from two very different sides of the track, two different cultures, same kind of people, same descent, but two different cultures. The, the, there were Jews in the church at this point who spoke Greek, the most common language of the era, most likely Israelites who had left their hometowns and spread out throughout the Roman Empire and then returned and find themselves as part of this growing church. And then there are the Hebrews, those Jews who spoke Hebrew and were most likely, most likely had retained both the language from their history and their upbringings, but also the culture. That, the, they, they retained both the ethnic and religious culture of their upbringing. And as the church is growing, we learn that some of the church members were being treated differently, perhaps just 
overlooked or omitted for some reason could have been an issue of prejudice. The Hellenists were, were surely perceived more as outsiders. They, 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 they were a little more worldly, you might say. But for whatever reason, whatever reason, the complaint is registered, gets in the box, gets up to the apostles, and the apostles, we don't, we don't even have pastors yet. Did you notice that? We don't have pastors yet. The apostles hatch a plan to fix the problem. And this, no, this is our first observation. Th- th- that plan, and, and it's safe to assume the plan worked, okay? It doesn't always work. With these guys, it worked. Th- that plan and its effects pleased the church. They were pleased about that. And I just stop for a moment and think. Think for a moment. Think about all the other ways the apostle could have, the apostles could have responded to the complaint that might not have pleased the entire congregation might not have netted the same results. They could have taken an offense to the complaint. Wouldn't that be easy, right? They could have, been, they could have blamed the ones doing the distribution. Pass the buck. They could have ignored the complaint. They could have tried to fix the complaint themselves. They could have gotten onto the front line. They could have started serving at the soup kitchen, whatever it is. That they could have chosen seven individuals without consulting the congregation. And that might not have pleased them, right? <laughs> Think of all the ways, what, what other things they could have done. They could have reset the priorities about the church at that moment and said, this, that's a good point. Not everybody is receiving equitably from the distribution of all the supplies we need, in particular uh, those that are marginalized in need, and we are going to set up one big mercy benevolent ministry for the city of Jerusalem. They, they could have even have turned away the Hellenists and shown favoritism towards the Hebrews. They could have done any number of things. And listen, I'm not sure the gathered, the, the church, the crowd would have stopped them. Why? Not because they're the 12. Not because they're the 12, but because caring for widows and the helpless among them and those around them was already, by, it was already part of their culture by the grace of God. They would have found a way, regardless. They would have found a way either way. A tell, listen, that's a telltale mark of a genuine, healthy church. Everyone is experiencing the blessings and benefits of the gospel's power and the sweet comfort of belonging. We are one body. We are one people, brothers and sisters, theologically. Brothers and sisters, theologically, we're a family. And, and what family member isn't pleased when every member of the family is cared for? Hmm. We are. And it pleased them. And it pleases us. And, and you excel at this in caring for one another. And I just want to note, if you know, just to be clear, I didn't use the word just. They were all justly served or fairly, that, that people weren't being treated fairly, but that everybody was being served, that no one was being left out, doesn't mean that everybody got the same amount. <laughs> I, was, I often tell people when they, say, when they ask the question, like, well, maybe that's not fair, and I, I get to ask often because, well, because we make decisions and then somebody gets less or more or double, whatever it is. <laughs> and you said, I'm not using the word fair because we're not about fairness, goodness from the very bottom of everything we believe. Nothing of this is fair. 
Here we are, sinners, now redeemed. Hating people, now a big family. Now this is fair. <laughs> and you might say, getting some supplies is not necessarily just either. We're simply celebrating the fact that as we all gather together, we all experience the blessings of the power of God, the gospel going forth and transforming us. We get to belong to him and to each other, and that brings us joy. It pleases us, doesn't it? But listen, I think it gets better. Observation number two, the church was pleased. The church was pleased that no one was being left out, but I think even more so, the church was pleased that they had more leaders. They had more leaders. And this can be controversial today, but look with me. Verse two, let me explain. Verse two, and the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples. Where in Jerusalem? I don't know. Is that literal? I don't know. A lot of them at this point the full number of the disciples, and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. <laughs> How great a moment is this for the church? They went from 12, right, do the math. I'm not good at math. What is that? All the accountants in the room looking at me like we know. 19. Different kinds of leaders, but they just, they were just given seven more leaders. And they, this pleased them. Seven more men who, who were marked by wisdom, who were full of the Spirit, who were willing to lay down their lives and their preferences, set aside time, get in the line of fire for the good of the church. And, and listen, again, it's, it is just such an interesting passage. The, these seven men, if you notice, they all have, if you're not aware, they all have Greek names. There's no Hebrew names on that list. They're all Hellenistic names. Listen, the, the congregation, listen, all the things that could have pleased them, but didn't happen and it wasn't recorded as pleasing them, they could have said, we need a fair representation of everyone in the congregation. We got a small group of Hellenists over here, and we got a large group of Hebrews, so we're going to have four Hebrews on this panel, this committee, and we're going to have three Hellenists so that we can do a fair, equitable, uh, whatever, leadership, well-informed, well-connected with this massive congregation. They, they could have... Well, they could have just chosen them themselves, couldn't they? But they, they sought men who were full of wisdom and the Spirit. What we see, learn later about deacons, men, men who's by their very service commends their faith. And as they, their faith is commended, they serve all the more, and they are honored among the congregation, and the congregation, the church is blessed and cared for, and these sort of things, like no one being left out, happens because we have more leaders. And listen, again, you excel at this. You excel at this. I, you love 
I'm, I'm a recipient of this. The pastoral team, the deacons, there's all kinds of leaders. There's small group leaders in our church, ministry leaders, people that are making stuff happen here on Sundays, people that are making stuff happen during the week. Uh, pastoral residences, pastoral interns, all kinds of interns, all kinds of staff doing all kinds of things to serve us and beyond us. Even having Pastor Mike down in Santa Ana this week. You love leaders and you love to follow and to entrust us to serve you and to look out for your interests. You you look right through us because we're not always the slickest, smartest of the bunch. That wasn't why we were selected. But you look like through us, acknowledging that God has given all of us to serve you. And so you're really trusting the Lord as you trust us. And your impulse is to give and to equip and to make a joy of being leaders. Uh, Every time we've ordained a pastor, called someone to do an internship, even Andrew last week, uh, our pastoral resident Andrew, uh, when we have equipped and uh, appointed deacons, you've thrown a party. You, you could argue that what the apostles said here seems a little odd. I think this is a bit of our culture. A, a bit of our culture would be to say, well, well, why would it not be right for them to serve tables? Right? What, why not... Pastor Mike, Pastor Dustin, and I just get our hands dirty and do everything, right, to serve you. But recognizing that leaders and servant leaders are a gift from God, we celebrate them. You celebrate them. We, we have a culture of it, of wanting to equip the saints, Ephesians, for ministry, to deploy you that we might do things like fill pulpits all around Orange County with gospel-proclaiming preachers, to have more deacons to serve in more areas in our church to ensure everybody is experiencing the blessings of of the gospel's power at work in us and a transformed community and a belonging to that. Wow. Receiving more leaders. Please them. Pleases us. It's a genuine, authentic mark, I think of a healthy, healthy church. I just rejoice in that with you. But listen, there's one more. One more observation. Number three. The church, the church was pleased that no one's being left out. Church pleased we have more leaders, more, more people serving us, helping us, ensuring our ministry would leave no one out. But number three, the church was pleased that the apostles prioritized the word. And the word there, you, we could swap it out right now just for shorthand, the gospel. All that the word proclaims, all of its counsel, and in particular, all of its connections and how it defines the contours of God's saving plan for humanity in Jesus Christ. The church heard that it's not right for us to do this. Why? Why would it please them for them to say, we're not going to do this. Find other people to do this. Because the church was pleased that the gospel, the word would go forth. It's what starts our our, uh, passage. It's what closes our passage. In verse 1, you have now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, 
right? So they're growing. And then you hear at verse 7 at the end, watch how it closes out this passage. And the word of God continued to increase. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great number, many of the priests, and there were thousands of priests at this point there. So we're, don't just think about the ones that were opposing them in earlier chapters. What we're saying here is, is that even leaders in Jerusalem we're becoming obedient to the faith. The word of God is moving forward. And you can almost feel it. Feel it in that text. The apostles say, we, we must keep preaching the word. We must commit ourselves to the word and to prayer. That commitment pleased the gathered church. And again, one last time. This is a place to, to commend you, Sovereign Grace Church of Orange. The priority of the, of the proclamation of the gospel and the ministry of the word above all other things we do, and I'm not going to qualify it, most important thing that we do And when we do it, and I see this, oh, this is what I love about us. Most of all, it pleases you. It pleases you, and it must continue to please us <laughs> that we would be known as gospel people, people of the word. Oh, we're, oh, we're about all kinds of things. But when you walk in here and you meet a member of our churches, as you meet one another, as you talk to one another, as you dream of things we can do together for the Lord here in Old Town Orange and beyond, it starts and it feels almost as if it stops with the gospel. We're a gospel people, a gospel church. We're a gospel ministry. Period. We prioritize words. How quaint and old-fashioned does that sound? But it's not. We prioritize the ministry of the word. We, we, you're seeing it right now happen. We, we, we preach the Bible. <laughs> oh, man, I was at a pastor's conference this week up in L.A. It was so encouraging to see brothers and sisters from all over Los Angeles gather together. There's I don't know, a couple hundred of them, and there were a couple of us from this church and from Santa Ana, and we all went, and we sat there, and, and in part, I sat there, and it was kind of embarrassing, I said, this is so remedial, I told my wife, I, I came home with her, this is so remedial, but then I stopped, and I thought about this guy got up, and he preaches in a church that we laughed at when we pulled up, because we were looking for the church, I don't even know what city in Los Angeles it was in, where it was, but we pulled up, and it was the most nondescript, beige church from like 1960, hadn't been thing, and the church's name was like, and I'm making it up, but you'll Google it and figure it out, uh, like Community Faith Bible Fellowship Church. We were like, how are we supposed to find this thing? But inside, the pastor, the, 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 the pastor of that church preached one of the first sessions, and he just drilled for an hour and a half how men and need to fill pulpits throughout Los Angeles and Southern California and just preach the Bible. He spent like 30 minutes just saying, would you just please read the Bible to your churches? And I thought, how remedial. And I got home and I'm laying in bed thinking, what else is there? Oh, goodness. 
fads come and go. We make initiatives and we do bold things for the Lord, but we just keep coming back to this. And this is what you love. You, you're experiencing it right now. We're in the book of Acts. And you almost can measure time among us by which books we were studying at any given time. Oh, this is the Acts time of the season of our church. And there was the, you missed it, the book of Revelation time of our church. That was a crazy time. Or Genesis. Or 1 Peter, the book most about suffering in the, old, in the New Testament that we preached just before COVID hit and ended in March of 2020. We were, we were being marked and shaped and changed and defined by this book and our intake of it and commitment to it. Listen, that's why we read the Bible together, people in the church reading the Bible together. That's why we provide biblical counsel. So you're looking for help, you're trying to sort out your life, you got challenges, problems in your family, in, in wherever, most likely right in here and here, right? You got problems there and you come and you get, meet with Pastor Mike, Dustin and I, your small group leader, one of your friends. If they're, if they're sharp, if they're wise, they're gonna crack open their Bible and they're gonna start giving you counsel from God's word rather than counsel from Wikipedia or Quora or whatever that is that answers all my questions, or YouTube. Now, Biblical counsel. It's why we sing word songs with lots of words. It's why, I, I so appreciate that we choose songs that are full of rich biblical content. <laughs> Can't take it for granted. Can't take it for granted. But that's why it's here. And sometimes I hear, when are we gonna sing other kinds of songs? When are we gonna sing songs about X, Y, and Z? And I just, we're going to keep singing songs that are informed by Scripture and that if you sing along with us or you at least read the words while we're singing it, you probably could get saved because <laughs> we're preaching to you musically. We prioritize the gospel among us, and it, it pleases you. It, it pleases me. It pleases us. <laughs> it also means that we don't do things we don't do things. The apostle said it wouldn't be right for us to give ourselves to the equitable distributions every week to make sure all the groups are. But, but there's lots of decisions being made here as well. All kinds of things about things we don't do. And I'll give you a, a, a term for this or a way I would say we should all think about it, is that we would preserve our gospel voice. We preserve the one thing that is most important that we do, that we don't commingle it with a whole bunch of other stuff that we are not necessarily called to do. We might want to do, it might even please us, but maybe we should drop it down the list so we keep our priority at the top. And a good example of that, I think, is just being very careful over the last few years and how we think about COVID. Like I said, but well, by now I am an expert in like, infectious diseases because I've been reading it for years. But in the beginning, we just we had no clue what was going on. And most of us didn't either. So instead of talking about COVID, we talked about Jesus. And kept talking about Jesus. And just when you think we, now we have some time to talk about something else, we probably revealed that we need to go back and talk about Jesus some more. This is preserving preserving this very thing among us. Mm. Listen, today, we can be tempted 
and this is, this is where I'm going to end, we could be tempted to find all kinds of things that could please us. We could build stuff. If you've been around any length of time and we talk about church planning, we planted a church in Santa, downtown Santa Ana, oh, and I pray regularly, weekly, at least weekly, probably talk about it weekly with somebody, a desire and a hope to plant in Anaheim at some point soon, another sister church doing what we're doing here up there, we could easily collapse the whole thing in and say, hey, we could build bigger. We could build better. We could build broader. We could have more resources. We could be doing all kinds of things. <clears throat> well, we could empty out this room and plant churches all over the place if the Lord would will and still do the same thing here with just a few people like we did in the beginning. We could preach the gospel and be committed to preaching the gospel. And if, and if we grow and we're trying to figure out how to manage that everyone would enjoy the benefits and blessings of the gospel, we could pray that God would give us seven men like this to serve us. Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word and your gospel. Thank you for the men and the women who have labored to ensure that we would be pleased by the right things. And in particular, we would be committed to and pleased, pleased that among us makes us happy. Our church preaches the word, preaches the gospel, and that is priority number one. Father, may it always be. <laughs> for our salvation, <laughs> for, for those out there, for our neighbors, for our families, for our children, for those that we know in this community. Lord, would you, would you keep us on the right track that we might hold fast to the most important thing? Sing it, preach it, counsel with it, memorize it, fellowship around it. But Father, I pray as well Pray as well we would we would preserve our gospel voice for for only in the gospel are we promised to find your power to save us and to save all those like us in old town orange do this we pray in jesus name amen